because my failure is lost. I mean, if we don't, if we can't identify with failure, then I don't know what we can identify with. I mean, that's me, right? My failure is lost when I look to the cross. I mean, I am ruins. I know my own mind. I know where my mind goes. I know myself. And without Jesus, I am ruined. I am broken. But it's all lost. It's all done away with in the shadow of the cross. So just sit in that for a moment. Like you are ruined. You are broken. You are nothing except for that the God of the universe loves you more than you can imagine. And there is freedom in that. So in the name of Jesus, I proclaim freedom in this place. That all of my failures, past, present, and future, are done away with in the shadow of the cross. That's the freedom that we sit in. So whatever shame you're holding on to, it's lost, it's gone. Whatever fear you're holding on to, it's a lie. Whatever you're sitting in right now, it's lost in the shadow of the cross. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. You can have a seat. Admittedly, uh, this, this week has been a pretty crazy week. It's been action-packed, if you will. Um, it's been a heavy week, I would say. So, um, in humility, I feel like this message in my mind is kind of all over the place. Right? I'm still not sure completely how it's going to come out to you, right? Um, and so I've been praying all week just in the, in the jumbledness in my mind that God, in my weakness, in spite of my weakness, would let it make sense. So let's just pray together. Um, from that standpoint, just that we would ask the Spirit to fill us this morning to help His Word make sense to us. God, uh, we need you. I pray that I would serve well, that I would get out of the way. I just humbly beg you that in your Spirit, you would take these words and that you would bring them together and that they would make sense and that they would spur us on, that they would stir our affections for Jesus and that we wouldn't leave here without some more tools to fight against Satan in this battle of life. So Spirit, reign here. Reign here. Fill our minds, fill our hearts that your word would just come alive to us. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take out your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there could be one somewhere in the front of the seat in front of you nearby. Right? We believe that...
This is God's word. It's inspired. It's without error. We also believe that it says that Satan is the father of all lies, right? We say this over and over again, but you need to know it because you alone do not stand a chance against Satan. You know that. I, I, I need to say it again. You alone do not stand a chance against Satan, right? He will beat you. You're not stronger than him. The only way to fight Satan's lies is with God's truth, and this is what we believe about the Bible. So if you don't own a Bible, you can, you can like last week, steal it from us and take the one in the seat in front of you. Just take it home with you. Turn to First uh, Peter. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. Verse 13. We're going to go through the end to 25. So let's just read this together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Remember, he's writing to people who are in exile, who are spread all over the known world at that time for their faith in Christ. Because of their faith in Christ, they're spread out all over the known world and being persecuted. He goes on, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, and the grass withers And the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news, or this is the gospel. The word gospel means good news that was preached to you. Just the other day I was talking to someone um, about how amazing it is to have kids. It's amazing, but but kids have power, right? I'm serious. They have supernatural power because one human being should not be able to, in one moment, make me the happiest man in the world, and in the next moment, the angriest man in the world. Right? I'm serious. Parenthood. I mean, how can I be so in love, I mean, in love that I want to eat, like, literally eat the kid, because he's so cute, or she's so, it's more like she in my family, because the girls are just much cuter than the boys. And boys are at the gross. They're just gross now. I mean, like, I'm not going to mention the gross things they do. It's just gross, right? I don't want to eat them anymore. Anyway, how can I be so in love 
with this little person and angry at the same time. If I was to write the dictionary, I think it would say parenthood, colon, angry and happy at the same time. That's it. That's parenthood. Angry and happy at the same time. That, that defines it for me. So anyway, my dad and my mom in here, and my sister's here, I think the first time at this church. This is my sister's here. But she doesn't, she's not included in this story, but she could probably relate to it. But So I'm going to pick on my mom and dad. Um, anyway, I remember when I was a kid, and my mom would say, wait until your dad gets home in your room because you're in trouble, right? I knew if that happened that I was in trouble, but I also knew that I had a way out, right? I also knew that in the next moments, it was my responsibility to myself to devise a way to make my father laugh right before he was about to punish me. Because I knew, he's shaking his head yes, because he knows, this is right. I knew that if I could make him laugh, there is no possible way that right after he was laughing because of me, he could punish me. There's no way that spanking was coming if he was laughing, right? And so I fear that I also got him in trouble with my mom, right? Because I'm assuming this is what happened. He would step out of the room, compose himself. Bri, did you punish your son? Just give me a moment. Just, just give me a moment. Well, get back in there and punish your son, okay? He'd come back in. All the mean, meanwhile, while he's out there, I'm devising a new way to make him laugh, right? He comes back in, and I would try as hard as I could to make him laugh again, right? Eventually, this scheme would catch up to me, and I would lose the battle. I remember a specific time when my mom came in, and she was not happy with me for something I did. This was, I, I, I feel like, you know, when you grow up, you feel like back then this was a daily occurrence, right? So I feel like that. But uh, anyway, she comes in with this uh, wooden spoon that had been used on me several times before. Um, but this wooden spoon is getting old. I'm, I swear it was used on her as well. Um, it's just super old. So she comes in. And I'd already tried the, uh, the newspaper in the pants trick. That didn't work for very long. But she comes in, and I get a spanking with a spoon, right? And the end of it, it just snaps right in half. And the end of it flies across the room. And so spanking me with the spoon, it breaks. It loses its power. So I just all of a sudden start laughing. I'm like, ah, I've won the battle. Wait in your room until your father gets home. So I did, and for the next moments, I tried to devise a plan to make him laugh, right? So, I'll come back to kids in a moment. But I've mentioned this before, so bear with me. I love the, the movie Evan Almighty, right? And in that movie, God comes to Evan's wife and says to her, Hey, do you think that if you ask for your family to be close, God's just going to make your family close? Or is he going to give you opportunity for your family to become close, right? And then he says, if, if, you, if you ask God for patience, is God just going to make you patient, or is he going to put you in a situation to be patient, right? Or, if you ask uh, for humility, is God just going to, okay, make you humble, or is he going to put you in a situation to be humble, right? And I feel like God constantly puts me in a situation where I need to be gracious with my kids, right? Gracious with my kids, I, uh, as a parent, one of the, f the things that frustrates me the most, frustrates me the most, is when I have to tell one or several of my kids like 16 times 
to do or not to do something, right? Here's an example. This is simple, right? You think this is simple. Hang up your towel after you've taken a shower, right? This is not simple for a child. I've come to discover that. This is not a simple task. It, ex- it, it exerts too much en- energy, I think, for them. Hang up your towel after you've taken a shower, right? It's not simple. Frustrates me to no end. I don't know how many times I've said that in my house, right? Or this. Put, let's put your backpack back in the same spot every day when you come home from school. Put it back in the same spot so tomorrow you'll know where it is. Or this. This is what we're living right now. When you take off your soccer stuff when you come home, you take it off. Let's put it back in the same spot every time. Right? So then we avoid the emotional panic and breakdown the next time it's time to walk out of the house and you can't find your soccer stuff and then you go crazy, mom goes crazy, and then dad goes crazy. All right? And then we go to soccer, everybody's nuts, we're a good happy family, right? Just because all you had to do was at, at time 15 put your stuff back, not at time 16, right? Just come on. Get th- this frustrates me to no end. But then I think... This is me. This is me with God, right? Because how many times does God have to remind me of something I should be doing or I shouldn't be doing before I pick up the clue phone, right? Before I actually start doing this. We've talked about this. Grace is not just that we get something that we don't deserve, right? Grace is that when we mess up, God says, hey, I'm going to pick you up and you can keep going because your sins are forgiven, right? You don't have to sit in that. You don't have to wallow in it. Get up. Get up and keep going, right? Now, on the flip side of this, if my kids learn, if I teach them that every single time they mess up, I'll just say, I'll just respond to them, oh, that's okay, you'll get it next time. Eventually, they're going to start taking advantage of my graciousness. They're going to take it for granted, and they will never, ever learn, right? Or they will continue to push the limits of what's right and what's wrong. You know, in parenthood, there's that line. There's that line that at least one kid always likes to just put a toe over, right? Just put the toe over the line. I'm telling you, next time that toe goes over the line, it's gone. It's my toe. Cutting it off for good. I'm just kidding. I'm learning graciousness with my kids. Right? It wouldn't make any sense. Romans 6, 1 through 5 says, What shall we say then? Are we to go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Just doesn't make sense. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 2, 3 through 4 says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, those who practice evil things, those who practice bad things, Do you suppose that you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? You just assume that he's going to give those to you, not knowing 
that God's kindness is meant. Like he's kind to you so that you will do something, right? His kindness is meant to, the purpose of his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. In other words, for all of us, God was kind to you. God was gracious to you in forgiving your brokenness, in forgiving your deadness, in forgiving your sin. God was kindness to you. And so because of that, we know that we can't earn that. There's nothing we can do to earn his forgiveness. But because of what Jesus did, he was kind to us in grace. So because of that, we should seek to live a changed life. Grace allows us to get up again in the midst of that pursuit when we mess up. But it makes absolutely no sense when we have trusted Jesus for our salvation. Because of his kindness in salvation, it makes absolutely no sense for us to believe that, for us to receive that, and then go on sinning. And here's the key word, because we know we all still sin, but the key word is on purpose. It doesn't make sense. To continue sinning on purpose. When God says that you are righteous in the blood of Jesus. So we should live what God says that we are, okay? This is what that section that I just read in 1 Peter is, is all about. It's really the how-to from last week. Like, how do we suffer well in this life in Christ? Where does it start? So to review about last week, in Christ we are a few things. In Christ we are born again to a living hope. We are born to an inheritance with Christ. We are guarded for salvation through faith by God's power. We will receive the final outcome of our faith. That is the salvation of our souls with Christ in eternity. So, because all of that is true, here's what we need to pursue. Because all of that is true, here's what you need to pursue. Okay, You don't pursue that to get that stuff, but because that stuff is true, Here's what you need to pursue. Verse 13 in this section starts with the word therefore. Right? It is connecting all of last week's section to all of this week's section. This week's section is the big answer to last week's section. So how do we pursue Christ? Here's the one thing I want you to remember. Here is the one thing. Write this down. Everything else, I hope, if you forget it, it points you to, to confirm that this is what you need to remember. Here it is. <clears throat> Don't conform to the perishable, seek the imperishable. Don't conform to the perishable, seek the imperishable. Let's work backwards on this. Go to verse 23, and we're going to read through 25. Verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The perishable. What's the perishable? The perishable is all that will not 
all that will not last into eternity. It's our possessions, it's our riches, it's pleasure in the here and now. It's everything that we seek that will not go with us into eternity. We can't take it. It's going to burn, it's going to go away, it's not going to last into eternity. The imperishable is the opposite. It's all that will last into eternity. It's our relationships. It's God's glory. It's people's souls. It's Jesus. It's service to others. It's love for others. So don't conform to the perishable. Seek the imperishable. I want to say one thing before we get into the details, before we get into the specifics. Um, I was listening to a, uh, a message from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He's the pastor of Life Church. Uh, they're, they're the ones that put together the, uh, the YouVersion Bible app that probably several of you are using right now. Um, but he preached a message uh, from a series called A Way Out. A Way Out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation, he will provide a way out that you may be able to endure it. And he said this. This is a paraphrase of what he said in this message. But he said this. Sometimes, say you're trying to kick a bad habit or a sin that you just keep on committing over and over and over again. Something you're addicted to. Something you just keep on going back to, right? And you get to the point that you want to stop. That you just want to stop. It's eating you up and you really want to stop. And you say to yourself, all right, I'm just not going to think about that thing anymore. And I'm just going to stay away from it. That's it. Willpower. Boom. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to stay away from it. That's one way to do it. Or, here's the problem with that. When we start to think about the fact that I'm just not going to do that bad thing anymore. I'm just not going to think about that bad thing anymore. And actually thinking about not thinking about that bad thing anymore. You're thinking about that bad thing that you're trying not to think about. But you're thinking about the bad thing because you're thinking about not thinking about that bad thing. Right? So in essence, you can try as hard as you want to stop and you're not going to. Because all you're going to do is think about that bad thing. When I say pink elephant, what are you thinking about? A big fat pink elephant. That's what you're thinking about. The only way to stop doing that bad thing is first by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to pray like crazy that God helps you to do it. But maybe a more effective way than just not thinking about that bad thing is to stop thinking about that bad thing but then fill the empty space with thinking about something good. With thinking about things that are imperishable. With thinking about things that are heavenly. With thinking about things that are godly. You have to replace that bad thing, that empty space that you've created in your life, with something good. Right? So here we go. I'm going to give you some points, and I hope these are practical. And this will be the shortest part of the message. You're like, thank God. These are practical, I hope. But really, I don't care if you remember these things. I do care that these things help you be convinced of that one point. Don't conform to the perishable. Seek the imperishable. So seeking the imperishable takes, here's number one, intentionality. Intentionality. Verse 13 says this, prepare your minds for action. If you're reading the King James Version, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, in Peter's day... 
men would wear these like long robe-like things that would go down to their ankles, almost touch the ground, right? If they were about to run or work hard or fight, they'd be tripping all over it, right? So what would they have to do? They would have to pick it up. I don't know how to do this, but they'd have to pick it up and they'd wrap it around one leg, somehow wrap it around another leg and around their waist so it would look like they're just wearing a, a, a singlet for wrestling, I guess. That's the best thing I can imagine. But they would, they would gird up their loins so that they could either run, work, or fight, right? That's what prepare your minds for action means. Intentionality. Intentionally get your mind ready for the fight. Get your mind ready to work. Gird up the, lo- the loins of your mind. And then it says being sober-minded. And I think he uses this uh, this language on purpose, okay? Here's what's true. When somebody's drunk, they don't have the ability to control their actions, right? And they also don't have the ability to even remember what those bad actions were, right? Day after, most don't remember what the crazy things they did were, right? Can't control the actions don't have the ability to remember what those bad actions were, but isn't it like that in anything in life? This is back to Craig Groeschel's quote. But the longer we spend doing anything that isn't good, we eventually get what? We get desensitized to the negativity of that thing in our lives. Isn't that true? Here's my experience. When I... uh, when I end a workout program, I immediately, I usually immediately just get right in the rut of not working out and then eating whatever I want, right? Because for a long time, I've not eaten whatever I want. I just start eating whatever I want. And at the, at the beginning, when I just start eating whatever I want, I feel disgusting. Like I feel like, oh my gosh, this is, my body is not supposed to be eating this stuff. and I feel sluggish. I just feel gross, Right? But then after a while, after I've eaten enough gross stuff, it becomes the new normal for my body, right? And then, what's actually happening with that? I feel normal. But my body on the inside is extremely unhealthy, right? So essentially, you could be dying but feel great. You'd be dying on the inside because you're unhealthy, but you feel great, right? And then, when... It comes to my attention that I need to get this under control, and I go back on a diet. I start working out again. What happens? As soon as I start working out, it is painful. It's painful. Your legs hurt. Your arms hurt. You can't walk. You try to fake it, but you can't do it, right? Everything hurts, right? But then after a while, you start eating healthy again. Everything stops being sore, and you can move better. And that becomes the new normal, right? But in that situation, I feel normal and I'm actually healthy inside. So when we spend enough time doing the things that are not healthy, we get desensitized to them. We end up feeling like that's normal, but our spiritual life is dying from the inside. We're dying from the inside. Because after a while... When you start eating healthy again, then the sugar, 
the chocolate, the ice cream I once craved, because those are the things I like the most, chocolate and ice cream, they become less of a craving to me. I just stop craving them because I'm actually healthy. Don't conform to the perishable. Seek the imperishable. Here we go with number two and three. To not conform to the perishable, number two, learn from your past failures. And number three, fill the present with the imperishable. Fill the present with the imperishable. So we learn from our past failures. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not conform any longer to the passions of your formal, formal ignorance. Heather says this to me all the time. Right, right before I'm about to rescue my kids from um, doing something stupid, she always says to me, let them fail. Let them fail. Right? Because it will pay now as a parent to let them fail so that they won't fail in that same area later. Right? Because if we fail, hopefully we'll learn from our mistakes. And then I was at the gym um, the other day, and I was talking to a guy who has uh, now teenage girls. And I did not, I didn't tell him about what I was going to preach on, about anything. We were just having a conversation. And he offered this. He just said, you know, I still find it just as important today as I did when my kids were young to let them fail and learn from their actions. I said, there you go. That's exactly like it is with us. Let them fail and learn from their actions. Because here's the deal. It really makes no sense to return to the very things that brought us consequences and pain in the past. But our nature as imperfect people and the constant lies from Satan, they drive us back to our sinful desires that have empty offers of satisfaction. Somehow, like the Israelites in the desert who had been set free from slavery, they kept wanting to go back. They kept saying, hey, in slavery we were fed every day. In slavery, they had a false sense of what freedom actually was. They thought freedom would be glorious. Freedom was a hard thing. They weren't in slavery anymore, but they kept wanting to go back to slavery. So how do we not return to those things? It's number three, fill the present with imperishable things. Remember, we can't just think about not doing the bad things. We have to replace it. We have to fill that empty space with good things. Verse 18 through 21. Go to verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. And for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I mean, that is the essence of the gospel, right? That your silver, your gold, your attempts to earn your own salvation, anything that is earthly will burn and is perishable, and it will not save you. The only thing that is imperishable and that we can take to heaven with us are the things that we do 
because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's, I mean, the blood of Jesus Christ is imperishable. It will never fail. It will never get old. It will never rot. It will never decompose. It has saved us for eternity. And that's freedom, right? I mean, what more could you want? In the words of Steve Steve Troja, what more could you want? He's going to hate me for that, but. This is good news. This is good news. Don't conform to the perishable. Seek the imperishable. We're going to take communion now. And as the band comes back up, I want you to think about this. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. That's the perishable. You give it up to gain what he cannot lose, the imperishable. Every earthly pursuit will come to an end, and no earthly pursuit will satisfy to the full. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the ultimate imperishable. We cannot lose it. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, And kill and destroy. That's Satan. I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Every single lie, every single thing that Satan could offer you will perish. It's perishable. It will fail you. It'll never hold you up. Only what Jesus promised lasts forever. So, We're going to take communion, and we've got the bread that is representation of his body, and the cup that is representation of his blood, imperishable blood. If you're here today, and you just are like, I don't know what to do with this, I don't know what you're talking about, this relationship with Jesus, I I just don't, that's okay. People are going to be getting up, coming to these front tables in the back if you're new, don't worry about it. If you have a relationship with Jesus, do this with us, but don't feel weird because it's going to be chaotic, controlled chaos for a moment, but think about the fact that everything that we could pursue apart from Christ will fail us. It will burn. It will not last into eternity. Only our pursuits, only the things that we pursue because we are saved and the imperishable blood of Jesus will last forever. Don't conform to the perishable Seek the imperishable. Jesus, we are thankful that our salvation is secure. We're thankful that we cannot lose that. And Father, that because of your grace, you can say to us, child, I love you no matter what. So get up and pursue me. Get up and pursue me. We love you, Jesus, and we remember you now. In his name we pray.
that's the challenge that we can say through it all it is well with me Romans 12 2 says don't be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind don't conform to the perishable seek the imperishable the question is for you this week what do you need to replace in your life with thoughts that are imperishable where do your pursuits need to shift how can you fill the present time the present things with Jesus to combat the lies of Satan and empty promises because when you do that you can really sing that song through it all it is well so as we sing one more song together let's just sing this out with a, with a heart bought with imperishable blood. And our offering's gonna come around during this song. Jesus, because of your blood, we are well. We are well. Amen. Yeah.